Last week, we interviewed a real estate agent about coming out on top after the subprime mortgage crisis. This week, we asked the president and CEO of a large and successful nonprofit about making the shift from for-profit leadership to nonprofit leadership. After over a decade of nonprofit leadership impacting thousands, we hit a wall. We started asking ourselves, how can we go beyond personal success and leave a legacy that lasts far beyond our lifetimes? A job change and a couple of pivots into for-profit leadership later? We're on the search to get that question answered. If you're a leader who cares deeply about supporting nonprofits from the inside or from the outside, this podcast is for you. We believe that the world needs what you are going to leave behind, and it's our passion to help you find that thing and build it. I'm Ted. And I'm Lisa. Welcome to the Legacy Builders Movement. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. We are so excited for today because we have Bill Schultz with us. He is the president of CEO and of Opportunity Partners here in Minnesota. And just so you know, this organization has been around since 1953. Uh, but back in 2015, Bill transitioned from for-profit leadership into working with this nonprofit and really leading it. He's the president and CEO right now. Uh, Opportunity Partners is doing so many interesting and good things. Uh, They're helping people with disabilities get training, employment, residential support, because they want them to be able to live independent lives and also just lead lives full of purpose and meaning, which I think is really what every person wants. Right. Um, And so we're so appreciative of your time and of you being here, Bill. Thank you so much for taking some time with us today. No, thank you. I'm super excited. I really appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. Uh, as we get started, we would love our listeners just to learn a little bit about you and kind of how you got to this point, a little bit about your history. Would you share that with us? Absolutely. Um, so Opportunity Partners is an organization in Minnesota, but I am not a native of Minnesota. I grew up in Michigan, <laughs> ah. um, so I get a lot of grief for being a Lions fan. Hey, at least you're not suffering. from Wisconsin, because that would be That's really true. bad. <laughs> yeah, we're pretty, we're pretty neutral um, with, with uh, you know, the Packers and the Vikings, which is a lot of tension within the organization. Um, so that's fun. But was a corporate gypsy, um, uh, lived in Pennsylvania, North Carolina, California, Minnesota once before, Georgia for four years. Um, and after I got my MBA down in Emory, um, decided to move back to Minnesota. Um, it was an opportunity for um, me and my wife. So it was a, a great, uh, a great place, and we've been here ever since 2000. So we love Minnesota. Um, I'm married. Um, have two kids: a senior in high school and a sophomore. Uh, my son just loves music. He plays the guitar and sings, and is in bands. And my daughter is a big soccer player. She's on the high school varsity team and plays clubs. So they keep us busy, which is which is a lot <laughs> of fun. Um, so yeah, so I've been in technology um, my whole career um, until I joined Opportunity Partners. Um, I started in engineering um, with a company and then moved into sales. And then um, after getting my MBA, I moved into um, product marketing and marketing to really, you know, learn, which is really great. So that sales experience and marketing experience is really good at listening for what people want. Um, And then just kind of grew into uh, different management roles, became a general manager of a division, and then um, had the fortunate opportunity to, to be CEO of a publicly traded company. Um, and then I, uh, got into, uh, a 3d printing company, which was just a great technology. And then, um, decided to, uh, to make the leap to nonprofits. Wow. So when you said corporate gypsy, you weren't, you weren't kidding. Like you've done a <laughs> lot of different stuff. So many cool insights, I'm sure to be able to kind of share with us. So tell, tell us now, like, what did that transition look like a little bit? Cause a lot of our listeners are, 
thinking about supporting nonprofits or figuring out maybe maybe being a part of a nonprofit is more for them or whatever. So tell us a little bit about some of maybe the challenges of switching from the for-profit world to the nonprofit world. I think it'd be really interesting. Yeah. So it was interesting. So I was um, in the, the last organization I was in, um, I was working just a ton of hours and traveling a lot and we were reorganizing. I was going to be traveling even, even more, probably missing two weekends uh, a month um, for my family and my kids were, we're younger and I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't want to miss this time with them. Sure. So, mm-hmm. um, but I love technology. I'd always been in technology and I'm like, what cooler technology am I going to find than 3d printing? Um, so I <laughs> yeah. thought, why not nonprofits? So I started looking at that. Um, and we gave to a nonprofit that I really admired, um, um, called college possible, um, sure. a great, great organization and looked at uh, joining them. And, um, when I was in my CEO group, Rob Zesky, who was the CEO of Second Harvest, just a phenomenal human being. Um, we've now moved to Boston, but um, he um, was connected with the organization and um, I was able to talk with them, but I didn't have, what I didn't have, and this is a big obstacle for a lot of people that want to make the transition is any fundraising experience. Mm. So, you know, it's it's a big deal, especially if you're coming in at an executive level, they want to have that because it's their lifeblood. So sure. that, that is um, a challenge for people that, that want to make that that transition. But Rob knew that I wanted to make the switch. Um, Opportunity Partners happened to be looking. So we have a business side where we operate like a for-profit because we bring in work for people um, as well as send people out in the the community to work. So, you know, we do around $7 million in revenue with a a packaging business largely and some other services. Cool. Um, And they really wanted to have someone with a for-business background. So they were looking for somebody. So our RCO at the time, Armando Camacho, reached out to Rob. And Rob was really, so he came from the, the for-profit world and made that transition. So he was good at bringing executives from the for-profit into the nonprofit and just networked with us. And it was just a great fit, you know, just a phenomenal culture um, at Opportunity Partners. And, and the need was there and it really matched. So it's a bit unique in the sense that this organization was actually looking for um, that for-profit experience, mm-hmm. but there's others that are as well, especially if you're looking, you know, you might want to talk with some board members um, because there are really a lot of positive elements that can come from the for-profit world mm-hmm. and be injected into the nonprofit around some disciplines around innovation, um, change management, financial management as well. Um, but it's really important. So one of the things that Rob told me, so I was really trying to get a lot of coaching from Rob to help me because he was so good at this. He said, you have to really be patient. You have to have a high emotional intelligence. You have to have great listening skills because so many people he would help transition would flame out in the first six months. They come in like mm. a bull in the China shop. You know, they're <laughs> used to this very fast paced kind of a different culture. Sure. Um, and not, again, not all for-profits have the same culture, but that's where a lot, a lot of folks are coming in that transition are challenged. It's also for in nonprofits, for-profit people are really scary. Um, so <laughs> I, I had to overcome and build a yeah. lot of trust with people, um, you know, cause you're, you're a little bit alien. It's about the mission. You really have to have a passion around the mission because mm. um, people are here for the mission for different reasons. But um, it's, it's, it's a big deal to understand that culture and having a really high EQ going in and being patient and being a, a good listener. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I love it. So, so you said that uh, it's really important that you as the CEO 
coming in, especially from you know, a different world, really, to to being the CEO of this nonprofit that you have to have that heartbeat. You have to like care and be passionate about that mission. So what is it about uh, this nonprofit that really like struck your heartstrings and, you, you know, connected with you? Yeah. So I have a niece that has autism spectrum disorder. So mm. um, I could see just, uh, you know, from from birth on just the, the challenges. So they go into schools and some schools are better than others of, of supporting um, children with different needs. Um, but uh, even after they graduate, there's a transition program, but you know, when they're turning 2021, that goes away. So there's organizations like Opportunity Partners, even some people with autism though, they don't qualify for, you know, waiver funding, which is really how people get supported beyond mm-hmm. high school. So there's a cliff and they end up back at home. So just seeing those struggles and understanding that from a personal standpoint. Um, and my niece is really highly capable. Um, and she's actually coming back. She just, she re-engaged with opportunity partners for some services for some employment and now has a job with office max and, and loves it. Um, so That's being cool. able to see that and just know the personal impacts and it's not just on the individual, it's the family. So, uh, you know, you're a parent and you have children, let's say you have a child with a disability, um, and you're, going to likely pass away before they do. So mm-hmm. people are really worried about, you know, mm-hmm. how, you know, how's my child going to be? They want to help develop those skills. They want to make sure they're living a, a fulfilled life. And just even when they're alive, they want to make sure that, that that's there for them. So, you know, that's, that's a big thing. And safety is a big, big concern um, because they are vulnerable adults. Um, and we'll, we'll work with them to be- develop those life skills so they can be more and more independent. That's really our goal is, to understand what those goals are of the individual and their family and how do we help attain those because goals vary you know by individual whether right. you have a disability or not so how do we help help meet those and that's why we have such a broad spectrum the other thing that really drew me beyond the mission was just the complexity of the, the business um, was you know because we have a, a business side and we do residential and we do we support people on a broad continuum of abilities mm-hmm. so some folks you know we'll, we'll have packaging work and we have someone that um, has an intellectual developmental disability and they're blind, but they want to work. So we find a way to get a job done wow. for them. Um, we also have, you know, have people that have an intellectual disability, like maybe it's a choir, they have a brain injury. People have a, a bike accident, they're not wearing a helmet, or there's a variety of ways that people, they're not always born with the disability that we support, they acquire them. Um, and they don't have use of a certain arm and they, they can always say they can't stand, but they want to work. So how do we help them do that? Um, or they want to be out in the community. So how do, how do we help get them out in the community and, and get engaged with that, either volunteering or, you know, going to different programs, uh, you know, finding a network of friends, being able to get around on their own, learning the bus system, the transit system, you know, all kinds of different goals. And so that was really just appealing the breadth of services that we have and just the breadth of needs in the community. I'm sure that really appealed to, to the fact that you like to do so many different things because you've had, you know, so many irons in the fire over the years. This yep. is like, hey, this is the like opportunity for me to do all of these <laughs> things all. all at the same time. Exactly. <laughs> uh, now, I know one thing that we had kind of talked about earlier, uh, well, before the show, your listeners are like, no, you didn't talk about this earlier. <laughs> it's not just that uh, Opportunity Partners has so many ways that it, they support individuals, but also they have so many ways for um, for-profit companies to also support the individuals in different ways to actually help support opportunity partners. Can you talk about some of those different options and the way that you've structured that? We do. So um, there's always, you know, we have 
a philanthropic arm, so donations are great. Uh, we have a big event every year. Um, we had to do a little bit differently this year because of um, COVID-19, but we have a, a big gala, which is a great night. People get to learn more about the mission um, and their sponsorships. We have just tremendous corporate sponsors that um, are part of the night. They usually come and they, they help us celebrate and they, there's mission moments where people just, you know, their eyes are just all water because we're hearing just great stories of people's progress and individual goals. And they really get to see the humanity of it. Um, there's other ways as well. So again, we have a continuum of abilities. Not only do we offer work within our own facilities, but we can go out into the community. So we have several partners out in the Twin Cities where um, folks go out, a, a group of people with disabilities go out with a job coach and they work. And it's either, you know, it's doing production work, it can be doing um, janitorial work, it can be doing office administrative work. We really just need to understand what you need done. And we have a job coach there to help um, those people get that work done. And then also just, we have people again that, you know, they're developing their skills and they wanna work and they're, and they're looking for a job. And I think not only, th there's always a business um, it's a surprise for people um, that, you know, we don't get work because we're, uh, uh, we don't get work because we're a nonprofit. We get work because we do great work. Mm. Um, and as a matter of fact, we, we lead with our abilities uh, as a organization of providing a packaging service. And then we say, oh, by the way, we, um, we're a nonprofit and we support adults with intellectual de developmental disabilities. Because what we found when we lead with our mission is people paint us in a box and they limit their thinking of what we can do. Um, and we actually have a hybrid workforce of people with and without disabilities working side by side. So whatever your challenges, we'll get it done. Let us disseminate the work and get it done for you to your standards and at your price. But people can also hire people. I think one of the things that organizations don't realize because we're so utilitarian that we think about, you know, what's, I have this, I have all my, my metrics of how many pieces you're going to produce in an hour and all these things, but they lack the appreciation of the impact on culture. So we hear this a lot mm. of either people hiring our folks as individuals with the job coach that comes in, checks on them a couple times a month to our crews where they come in with a group of four and they have a job coach is the positive impact on the culture of the, of the staff around them. It's just, it's universal. Almost every time we have that happen, you know, they talk about it. We get invited to their banquets and their parties because we're just part of it. And uh, it, it just shows, you know, uh, the humanity of it and, and people feel really good about it. Um, so that's, I think, you know, it's just another way that it, the company is giving to us, but we're also giving back to the company and they don't always right. think about that. Well, I've heard, I've heard it said too, that culture eats vision and mission for lunch. Like if your yep. culture is powerful and uh, a positive environment where people are supporting each other and are there for each other, that that will win out even if you have made a mistake and you don't have like the best sounding mission or you know you know what i mean the culture actually drives that so to know that you're not just making an impact in these people's lives you're providing opportunities to work you're also making this really positive impact in the communities because it's supporting these businesses as well it's it's a really really cool uh synergistic sort of thing that's awesome i have a Question to kind of go back to something you said earlier, because a lot of our listeners are nonprofit leaders, and you mentioned that you didn't have a fundraising background, but you knew that that was something you needed to kind of develop for yourself. So I'm wondering if you could give our listeners a couple like big things that you learned about how to be an effective fundraiser. Yeah. So um, 
Well, one, my sales background helped a lot. Mm. And then also um, I went to um, St. Thomas. They have a great uh, program. Um, they have a fundraising certificate that you can do and you can take individual courses, but they cover the whole different elements of individual campaigns, capital campaigns, corporate sponsorships, um, going out and funding for grants. Um, so it's an excellent program. Um, I know people that are in transition, you know, maybe they've lost their job and they, they really want, you know, or they're in their second phase and they want to have that. I think organizations look at, upon that favorably that you're showing you have that, you've made that step and it's, it's not an expensive um, program and you can take them piecemeal if there's certain areas that you want to learn about, or you can get your full certificate. So it was, that was a great way to learn more about it. Um, and then I just came back and drove our VP of advancement crazy with all these ideas. <laughs> and slow down, slow down. Too many ideas. <laughs> that's, that's great advice. Like there are resources out there to learn how to be good at it. And there's so many different types. I think, uh, you know, nonprofits get paint themselves in a corner a little bit and they think there's, there's one way to fundraise, you know, and like you just listed yep. out a plethora of things that you can learn about, but I'm, I'm sure there are tons more beyond that. Yeah. That's and one thing that I'll, I'll network with a lot of people and talk with that because people want to do that and they see that I've done it. Um, and I, I didn't do this. I volunteered a lot with nonprofits, but I wasn't on a board. And if someone doesn't have that experience, if they go and volunteer, and it doesn't have to be a, a, a full board. Every, every board has all these committees mm-hmm. and there's always a fundraising committee. Um, so one, you can go and see where can I add value? I guarantee you they'll take you on their fundraising committee. Um, <laughs> like, please. But that, that's a great way just to learn about it. Um, and also just because it, it demystifies, you know, working in a nonprofit as well. They can see what it is because um, there's a lot of hard work. There's a lot of challenges mm-hmm. um, getting the money. We're in a highly regula- regulated space with a lot of financial pressures, costs going up and, and our are the rates we get reimbursed don't. Um, mm. So, you know, it's, it's not all uh, rosy. So there's a lot of reality to it that you should go in eyes wide open onto it. And the culture, I can't stress enough, the culture, we, we do these leadership development days and um, you know, you've had these different personality tests and things like that. And there was one that kind of shows what your main attributes are. And we pin these up um, around the wall um, and then, you know, you kind of did your assessment and figured out who you were, and then you went and lined up. And I would say 80%, 90% of our organization's folks went over around, you know, all caregiver, emotional driven folks. And it was me and one other person under the analytical data driven person. <laughs> so it's good to have a mix of that, but you have to really understand the culture you're going into and making sure that that's going to be okay for you too. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, when they consider joining a nonprofit, I mean, sometimes there's a disparity, I think, between what people think for-profit work is and what nonprofit work is. Just more people have more experience with for-profit. But sometimes I've heard people say, I'm going to get into a nonprofit and I'm going to make these adjustments because they could function more like a for-profit if they would just do X, Y, and Z. And sometimes that gets people into trouble or they view a nonprofit as I get to work on a mission. It's rose colored glasses. You show mm-hmm. up every day and it's just this beautiful experience. It's always fulfilling and nothing bad ever happens. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and it is that, but it's also not that. What? <laughs> just being honest. What advice do you have for someone who's like considering making that step? What, the, what should they be looking for? What should they really be considering 
um, what what would you consider to be maybe, I don't want to say like a red flag, but just kind of a thing to really be aware of for who they are and what they're possibly walking into? Yeah, I think if if they can be introspective and really understand their leadership style mm-hmm. or their work style, you know, are they a real collaborative, um, have that real collaborative approach? Um, are they good listeners? Do they take their time to form opinions? Um, are they good with working with limited resources? Are they willing to roll up their sleeves um, and get in? And um, I think it's also important to understand the mission. Is there a passion around the mission? Hmm. Because the folks that work within the organization are there for the mission. Sure. Um, so um, it's that those are really key things for someone to look at. Um, and, you know, and whether it's going and volunteering there to learn more about it, um, or if it's trying to get on a committee on the board, that's a good way to, to, to try it, um, as well. Um, so I, th- I think those are the, I think it's that culture change, that pace. Um, it's and not all for-profits are command and control, but mm-hmm. just there's a culture of more um, aggressiveness in the for-profits sure. than the non-profits. Not that, not that there's not a lot of exacting and, and demanding and stress. I mean, these folks work so hard. You know, the residential folks, they work, we're 24-7. Um, mm. And we're, you know, COVID hit. Well, guess what? We're, we're managing, we're putting in protocols. These people are phenomenal. And, you know, they're not, the other thing is compensation. Don't come into a nonprofit thinking you're gonna make the same money as mm-hmm. a for-profit because <laughs> you're not. You're here because you care about it. Um, wow. You're gonna take a pay, pay cut, don't expect bonuses. Um, it's just different, right? No stock options. Um, so <laughs> that, just go in um, with that awareness too. That's great. Wow. How um how are how have you found that things are changing right now with COVID nineteen and all of that? Because I'm sure that that's been a big transition for your organization. What are some things that you're learning that you're figuring out um, in the midst of all this? Yeah, so um, huge. So in March, um, we we closed uh, our doors, and then Department of Human Services, who oversees our operations, said nobody's going to reopen. Um, so we lost wow. 60% of our revenues. So, wow. Wow. yeah, so we had to go through and furlough a lot of staff, unfortunately. Our residential program is still running, right? These are our day services, but it's a big portion of it. Our business service is still running. We have customers that needed work done. So we had staff instead of the people we supported on the work floor, we have staff that, you know, maybe they used to be an instructor in a classroom or they were a case manager or they were doing accounting. Well, now they're out packaging parts because we still mm. have deadlines to meet and, yeah. and, and all those things to do. Um, so we had to really cut down on our costs. Um, there were other things that we did to to manage because cash flow is king. We know we need to be able to survive to provide an, a, a mission for another 65 years, um, you know, in the Twin Cities. And it's really it's it's really on the staff or all their creativity. Um, safety is number one. So we you know we follow all the best practices like other organizations with masks and social distancing. Um, it can be a little bit more of a challenge with someone with an intellectual developmental disability. A lot of people you know they love that this is their community. They come in and they struggled with not um, knowing why they couldn't come in. Like, am I being punished? Why am I being punished? Hmm. You also saw people that just their skills regressed, unfortunately, you know, over this period of months, they're in the home, but they weren't, 
they weren't having the daily activity, whether it was work or enrichment. So there was some regression there. But some of the things we did, we started some virtual services through Zoom and developed those skills for folks. So people learning new skills. So that was really exciting to That's see. Cool. Yeah, and do that. And um, we've been able to reopen um, uh, services gradually to some folks. We're still operating at a lower level, but there's all kinds of hurdles because with transportation and getting staffing back and um, getting people that are comfortable coming back and can follow safety protocols of washing hands, cleaning workstations, cleaning their areas, wearing a mask. Those are just, you know, we've been really fortunate because we do have group homes and there's other places where they've had really bad outbreaks, especially like nursing homes at the congregate setting. But sure. we've been really fortunate that we have not had that. Um, so it's caused us to be creative, but you know, one of our group homes, so uh, an activity of a person that we support, their favorite thing was to go to the dollar store. And they couldn't go to the dollar store because of COVID. So what they did was they went and got items and they recreated it in their basement of the house. That they lived <laughs> cool. they so, yeah, they're just, you know, we have just the, the best staff that are heartfelt and, and really creative um, and, and doing things like that. So that's one of the things too, like coming from uh, a for-profit to a nonprofit, I knew I wanted to do good and that's why I joined. It's like, I, was, I want to do it later in my career. I'm like, well, why wait? Hmm. Um, I made that transition now and I feel good about what I do every day. It's like, I'm putting this work in and I'm not just giving money back to shareholders and there's nothing wrong with that. I did that for a while, um, but you know, making a difference in someone's life. But what I didn't expect was the positive impact on the culture and the people that I work with. So you know, I'd always spent my career with white collar folks, you know, engineers, scientists, marketers, salespeople, highly motivated, motivated, driven, um, you know, for their careers, uh, just a different. Mm -hmm. And then I came into a whole new world of people that are, you know, some we're not a faith based organization, but a lot of people are driven by their faith and work here because mm -hmm. of that. Um, and then other people are just their caregivers by nature, which was new to me. I mean, just these people that are just so caring and they have so much grace and so much patience. Mm. Um, so that was just um, an unexpected benefit of, of joining the organization. So just something else for the listeners to know is your world will change and your perspective will change, which is all, that's all a good thing. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, Hey, as we're, we're kind of wrapping up here, we have one question we ask all of our uh, guests here on the podcast, because it's such a, I don't know, it's such a revealing question and it's a good thing for everybody to be thinking about all the time. But uh, Bill, could you share what does the idea of leaving a legacy mean to you? Right. So especially with Opportunity Partners, um, there's a great story um, that that I came across is actually from another podcast um, on being um, and it talks about, it's this author talks about how we have to accept suffering into our lives to reshape us. And they talk about this cave in um, Iraq in the Zagros mountains. Uh, in the fifties, they discovered this Neanderthal that um, had been severely disabled. And hmm. with our utilitarian culture, you would think, you know, hunter gatherers, if you can't go out and hunt or gather, you're gonna be cast aside. But what they learned, what these scientists learned was, and they had a really, there was a lot of skepticism around the science, but what they learned was this, this group of, you know, this tribe of 30, 40 people reorganized their living to support this individual. Wow. So, and they have evidence of, you know, how they, he lived for another 40 years. 
um, how he healed the wounds, but you know, he wasn't able, he, he, um, he had been bashed in the head and lost use of an arm. So they basically had to carry him around and support him. And the whole essence of it is how society took away. It wasn't about the utilitarian of what can you do for me? It's how are we going to support you? And, and just the learning from the fragility of that individual and the humanity of it and how it helped shape and make them better. And I think if we can continue to drive our mission and get it out beyond our walls to make us really obsolete and have the community understand how supporting people with different abilities can help them beyond their typical KPIs and metrics of productivity <laughs> and see the impact that they can have and have them think about it differently, that the value that they can have, that would be the legacy um, that I would love to see for the organization. That's incredible. Not only that, like science can just look at that and derive that from, you know, archaeology, but also just that it's so ingrained in human nature to rally around the people in your community and figure out how can we all thrive better together. Mm -hmm. And um, it's cool because when we when we ask this question to people, a lot of people talk about the legacy they want to start and the legacy they want to leave. But um it's also really cool to hear the answer, the legacy that we want to continue, right? Because that's, that's a legacy of humanity, you know, humanitarianism, right? To, to be able to say, this is what being a full human looks like, is to really rally around the people that are in your circles and carry that forward. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> oh, I love that answer. I had no idea about that story. So Yeah, I'm going to have to look that up and read <laughs> up more on that. That's awesome. Um, we know that this Thursday is Give to the Max Day. Can you share some, I mean, you've already told so many stories, but can you share a little bit about uh, how people can find you, can uh, give to Opportunity Partners, uh, how, how much that money impacts lives? Because I know it just ripples through the communities. Yeah, um, it is is a huge benefit. Um, you know, it helps in so many different ways from where we support people living. And again, you know, within the apartment programs or the homes that we have um, to our enrichment programs, trying to get out into the community and exploring that as well as just the work that people have and find so valuable. Um, so yeah, people can find us at opportunities.org. So that's opportunity plural. Um, we're also on Facebook as Opportunity Partners. Um, they can follow us on Twitter and Give to the Max Day is just, a, it's a great um, Minnesota uh, give to your favorite um, uh, organization. And it's a great day and an important fundraiser for us. So if people um, can do that, we'd really appreciate a, a donation to help us and help uh, carry on our mission and support folks. Awesome. And to all our listeners, remember all those links uh, and where you can find Opportunity Partners, all that will be in our show notes. And we highly encourage you this Thursday uh, to really take a moment and give. I mean, any little bit makes a difference and bigger amounts and small amounts, they all add up to just impact people's lives. And so that's really what we love to see. And we encourage you all to be a part of it. And we have a lot of listeners not in Minnesota and you are welcome to join us. <laughs> in this, <laughs> Absolutely. In this awesome day. So, so yeah, thank you again, uh, Bill, so much for being with us. This has been just fantastic. We've learned a lot. I know our listeners really have too. There's so many great nuggets. And man, I wish... I wish we'd talk for a lot more because there's so many more things I want to dig into. But at the same time, like this has just been so good. So thank you so much for your time, Bill. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been fun. Hey, everyone. Stay tuned for the next episode where we talk with Mrs. Minnesota about finding awesome mentors. 
Thank you for listening to the Legacy Builders Movement. If you appreciate this content and feel that it's valuable, the best way that you could help us is to go to iTunes, subscribe, and while you're there, leave us a rating and review. To learn more about Legacy Builders, go to LegacyBuildersInternational.com. That's LegacyBuildersIntl.com.